Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another beautiful Saturday evening alhamdulillah with myself Wida Peterson and of course it's time for your Q&A with Sheikh or rather Molana Shamir Saeed and I'm sure that you know that it's time for all your questions to get answered inshallah. Assalamu alaikum to you Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sheikh are you well on this beautiful evening mashallah? Alhamdulillah very good evening. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh we're going to go straight into the questions that have come through on our WhatsApp line as well as on the SMS line. So just a reminder to all our listeners that you can send through your questions on 072-238-0712. That of course is our WhatsApp line and the SMS line 47913. And that's the line to send through all your questions you have for Molina Shamir Saeed. Uh, not this evening, but we'll answer them next week, inshallah. So the first question that I've got here, Sheikh, it says that, um, Assalamu alaikum, there's a widely accepted view in our Muslim community that the Deceased person's brain, the intestines, and the body explodes in the grave. That's why the, the old people used to do three nights, seven nights, 40 nights, and 100 nights, because all these different things happen in the grave on these nights, and it's recommended to make the hour for the deceased. I really want to find out if any of this is true, because it's something that we have been doing in our community for years. <laughs> About. So the question is about, uh, it's still folding in a sense of two different uh, um, perspectives. The first one is about a belief and then also our actions which connect to that particular belief. So the question is saying it is a widely accepted view. Uh, I don't know if it's widely accepted but I've heard this before um, about the... Uh, 40 days and 100 days and 7 days and sometimes 3 days even okay. and at each stage um, something apparently happens to the corpse Allah Ta'ala Alam. of course these type of things can be um, ascertained the truth of it scientifically even I'm sure there mm-hmm. are doctors that can explain this to us uh, those who are knowledgeable in the field when it comes to um, our belief concerning it or our practices connected to it um, they are it is a, a, a practice within our community, of course, and not only in our community, in, Muslim, in the Cape Muslim community, but it is practiced in quite a few parts of the world as well. There's a hadith on the topic. Uh, the hadith is, in terms of its authenticity, is debatable, and many scholars have gone the way of saying it is not authentic. Um, that speaks about that the person that after being buried for the next seven days or so is being tested in the grave. That's when Munkar, we call these those angels Munkar and Akir, they come and they question the mm-hmm. person. So the hadith speaks about um, being tested for seven days and during that time it's encouraged for the family to give some type of sadaqat on behalf of the of the disease. Yes. Like I said, with, with regards to authenticity, it is questionable at least, uh, debatable. But as is the habit often when it comes to weaker hadith, um, uh, sometimes you'll find people still practicing on it with the hope that if that if yeah. the statement is true of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam even though in terms of our um, scholarly academic grading of the hadith it might be have been graded as weak but there is still the slight chance according to some that the hadith or the statement might be true so we tend to some people tend to practice okay let's do it and so on mm-hmm. and as a result it became a habit became something which became part of um, not necessarily this community alone but many other communities as well I'm speaking with specifically reference to the, the seven days now. 
Okay. Um, so in terms of, of that belief, there is um, a, a connection there to some hadith. Um, others have said, no, the, this action is connected to some other ideologies, other beliefs and so on. Allah alam, we're not going to give too much details about that. It will take too much time and uh, a bit more research needs to be done into that. What we can say, however, and this is the crux of it, when a person passes away, the family, friends, uh, they are encouraged to do to make du'a and to do certain actions. They can do certain actions mm-hmm. uh, for the benefit of the deceased. The Prophet says, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, إِذَا مَاتَ إِبْنُ آدَمٍ إِنْ قَطَعَ عَمَلُهُ إِلَّا عَنْ ثَلَاثٍ." When the son of Adam passes away, and it's all of us, human beings uh, or humankind, when he passes away, all his deeds come to an end, they cease to come to an end. Illa an thalath, excepting from three avenues. And the Prophet says, Sadaqatun jariya, a sadaqa which he gave, a perpetual charity that carries on even though he has passed on. And then, ilmun uh, yuntafa'ubi, and then also knowledge which is benefited from, which the deceased person um, left behind. And then also, waladun salihun yad'ula, and also a child. The third thing is a child who makes dua for him. So, from this hadith and some others as well, uh, scholars encourage that um, at the very least we make dua for the deceased person. Some will give the way permissible giving sadaqah on behalf of the deceased person. We have the, the habit of reciting khatams of Quran mm-hmm. and saying the intention here is for the reward to go to the deceased or even the recital itself is for the deceased. All these matters are debatable but it is something within the Sharia and as a result we find that people practice this. So when it comes to the seven nights, the 40 nights, the 100 nights, it doesn't have to be on those specific days by the way. It can be, in fact, I just got a call not too long ago about a person. The family is arguing, is it which night is yes. the first night? Which night is the third night? Which night will be the fourth? That is not the idea. We shouldn't be getting involved mm. in such arguments. The idea is to do something on behalf of the deceased. The best thing we can do is make dua, of course. Uh, we can give charity on behalf of him, uh, according to many scholars. The Quran recital, as we do, the atka that we do, these are all things that we can either intend for the deceased or at the very least make dua that Allah gets. Yes. Gives the reward of those actions to the deceased. So the point of all these actions um, is to benefit the deceased in some way or the other, inshallah ta'ala. That is the reason why people acted, uh, uh, practice um, these particular, um, uh, uh, whether it's the Quran recital or anything else. Um, Just on the other side of that, if a person um, out there, Muslim, feels, you know what, there's no deal for him, there's no asal for this in Sharia, there's no real. Um, according to his perspective, of course, because that's another question I think is he's uh, is, is doubting where does this come from and so on. So if you find others that um, they don't subscribe to this particular practice or belief, then there's no rebuke on them. There's no problem. And those who do practice this and in the hope that inshallah the reward will go there. And I mean, what is stopping Allah Ta'ala from granting the deceased all the reward if that is the intention that we have at the time of reciting or at the end of the khatam or the sadaqah that we give? Nothing uh, prevents Allah from giving the reward to that particular person so which either view a person subscribes to the important thing is inshallah understanding it correctly and then respecting the various views on the topic so inshallah when it comes to the um, the scientific part which was asked about we can go to those who are knowledgeable and find this out in fact the, I read about a little bit and there are quite a few websites that speaks about the different stages of decay you get your initial decay then another pronunciation the 
putrefaction, uh, black putrefaction, fermentation, dry decay. So there are various stages and explain here about how um, bacteria is released in the body after we pass away at a certain stage and the intestines do actually come out of the body at some yes. point. Um, so the, there's a little bit of truth here and there, but exact detail, inshallah, we'll leave to the listeners. You can do some research on that, inshallah. Shukran, Molana, for that question. We move on to our next question, which says, Assalamu alaikum, Molana, and the question of um, paying dowry before being married. He never told the wife about his affair, only when the wife came across the bank statement and some intense love messages between the two on WhatsApp, he denied everything, became very rude and came home late and starting to lie after 38 years. He even told the family, uh, Sheikh, that the Sheikh cannot tell him where to go because he is going in and out at his house and, and it's his life. So both her parents passed on and only two daughters live alone so he could uh, he could have been honest and open that he he wants to get married again in front of a sheikh and that's so sad and i think this is really just a heartwarming um not heartwarming but heartbreaking story um you know and and a person seeking for some advice from from Malala. yes Rahim. so there's no real question there yeah but um the person is opening up her heart it seems like at, uh, in my mind and we might have gave a type of an answer to this question before um, there might have been a question connected to this but it seems like there was a person uh, a husband who got married again yeah and obviously it seems like he did not inform his wife ahead of time and she found out the often obviously it was heartbreaking for her so maybe you can get a question out of that um, the person is saying he could have told her and so on so from a sherry perspective yes ethically and maybe the best way even that in itself is arguable um, the best way of, of if a, if a man needs or he finds himself needing to get married again, is it necessary for him to inform his wife? Probably the best thing to do is to sit down and explain to her and if he needs to do that. And it's not going to obviously make things easier for her. I, d- I doubt that. Um, uh, but this is what the, f- the, the ladies are complaining about, that she had to find out from yeah. by his phone or whatever else. And she's saying, if you had to tell me, I could have maybe yeah. uh, psychologically prepared yeah. herself for it and so on and so on. So perhaps that would have been the best thing to do uh, from a Shari perspective if he did get married uh, again without informing his wife then the nikah is still valid there's nothing wrong with the nikah itself obviously he has not double responsibilities he has not two homes to look after he has um, double of everything so that's an important point for those um, men that are married to more than one wife um, it is double the responsibility in terms of everything else um, but in terms of what is legally allowed and what is um, valid the nikah is valid but best, uh, perhaps the best thing to do when a person or a husband intends to get married again is to be honest and open about it and Allah Ta'ala knows best Sheikh, I'm just going to um, ask on behalf of this person because I, I think from a woman's perspective, um, there's another question that comes from that, Sheikh. Is it, I think the bottom question is, yeah, you know, um, is it permissible for, for men to, to actually do that? Um, to just, you, she, um, as, as Malna has mentioned before, that it is, there's nothing wrong with the nikah. And, but I think she's very worried about her emotional state. And, and we go back to um, our guidance, which is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In his actions, we take from that the way things were done and so maybe she uh, could maybe just just give us a little bit of nasiha on on the way you know to handle things in situations like that because obviously there's emotions involved there's feelings involved and the last thing we do we want to do is hurt each other's feelings 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Look, either way, I think um, the best way, as you mentioned before, probably, and Allah knows best, because there are many, there are uh, quite a bit of emotions involved in this, uh, in such a scenario. Perhaps the best way of going about it is being open and honest about it. In the few cases I've had to tell, deal with um, in such things, um, I think the wives, um, even though it, it hurt them, they appreciated the honesty from the beginning. Also, what I noticed is that um, if there was if there was um, a bolt up to that situation, in other words, the person had been seeing the female for a while, then decided to get married, there's a bit more hurt there mm. as well. But if the person, let's say, there's a husband, he's feeling within himself, he needs to get married again. But he's not seeing anyone specific. In fact, he's not, there's no one particular person he wants to get married to. It's not like he's seeing someone and now he wants to marry someone. Um, instead, it's something he's finding within himself that he whatever yeah. feeling he might have he needs to get married again so he sits down his wife and he says look I need to I feel within myself I need to get married again there will still be emotions we can't get away from that mm. there will still be some hurt and um, but in those situations because the person wasn't involved with someone at the time there wasn't someone Mm. you know that he was involved with it seemed from the few cases i had that um the wife was a bit more understanding did it, it felt less of a portrayal i guess from her side so that would be something that um perhaps the best way of going about it um if the person has that feeling he needs to get married again be honest open do it with transparency consider and be as compassionate as possible with the wife and try to obviously uh make a um, you know, make it feel that she's being loved and so on and so mm. on. But in reality, um, there will always be some um, uh, emotional, uh, 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 quite a bit of emotions that go with such a situation. And uh, the first uh, few months, year or so, you just quite uh, uh, quite a bit of turmoil in the family because there's a lot of adjustment that, yes. adjustment that takes place and so on. So it's something which requires a lot of patience from, from both sides. Um, but I can't tell you a perfect way of going about it because there will always be some type of mm. uh, emotion that most uh, definitely, yeah. most definitely. But I think the bottom line is that we we, we do it respectfully and mm. um, you know um, and as as Molina said, there's no no good way of of you know mm. protecting each other's feelings. They will be hurt and so forth. And I was hope that we've answered that question, Molina. But it is now time for an ad break, and when we come back, we'll continue with Q and A. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And if you've just joined us, you are listening to the program Q&A with myself, Fuda Peterson and Mulna Shamir Saeed. And we're answering all your questions that have come through on our WhatsApp line as well as on the SMS line. Remember to message us if you do have any questions on our WhatsApp line, 072-238-0712. And of course, the SMS line, 47913. And hopefully we'll get to answer those questions in next week's program, inshallah. But for now, we're going to move straight on to our next call uh, or not our caller, our message um, it says Assalamu Alaikum as someone who is currently studying law I just wanted to find out if it's possible or permissible as a Muslim to address a judge in a court of law um, uh, in a court of law as my lord as I don't feel comfortable addressing another person by those words additionally bear in mind that the other term we can use is your worship which for me I also don't think as a Muslim we should address others by such a term finally please note that we are not allowed to address the uh, the judicial official by your honor as uh, as often depicted in movies so please advise Sheikh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim 
Um, so the first thing we come in, the questioner at Yoshi um, yeah. obviously has got this um, but the feeling in the heart and that's in itself a sign of Iman. You don't feel comfortable calling another person your worship or um, my Lord as is mentioned in the in the question. Um, with, when it comes to such terms, uh, what is important here is the intention. So this person might well become an attorney, a lawyer very soon, might have to participate in court and this would be the way he or she would be expected to address the, the judge. So if that is what is necessary needs to be done there's no sound upon the person if he calls another judge or he, she calls the judge your worship my lord and so on um, as that is what is um, expected of her what is important of course she just have to he or she just has to remind him or herself about the fact that you know I, this is not a literal mm. I'm not you're not my lord in yes, essence your it's intention a, it's a title of respect in yes. essence and it happens in a, a few other instances as well in the Arabic language and even among ourselves in fact you introduced me as Maulana Shamir um, so the term Maulana um, the word Maula itself is used also for Allah Ta'ala so um, we know we recite uh, at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم كافس الدعاء You are our Mawlana We speak into Allah in the dua You are our Mawlana You are our Sadi, our Master, our Lord and so on The one who takes care of our affairs Fansurna, so assist us. So we're making dua and we're calling Allah Ta'ala Mawlana So now we have sometimes persons graduated from a Darul Ulum or a particular Islamic institute. We graduate and we call him Mawlana, even though that's a title usually yes. uh, and from the Quran that is uh, uh, for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So they also, it's a matter of intention. Your intention is not to call the Mawlana, my yes. Lord, my worship and yes. so on. It's just a title of using it literally the, um, our teacher, our person that takes care of our affairs. It's just a matter of respect, Sheikh, Maulana, whatever it might be, Maulana is specifically, of course, it's a title of respect. As long as the person calling the Maulana or your, um, my Lord, your worship, does not intend thereby that the person is indeed someone to be worshipped or you are my Lord, there is no issue with that. In fact, it goes even further in Arabic, um, the owner of the house, if you read some Arabic text, classical Arabic text especially, then you'll find they call the owner of the house um, Rabbul Bayt. So they use the word Rabb. You know, which is usually mm. when I think of Rabb, I think Rabbana, oh, yes. Allah, our Lord, we use the word Rabb. Uh, so they call the person the Rabbul Bayt. So, so in such in such terms, the, the words, they were using the literal meaning of it, not like the Lord of the world and so on. Um, so uh, the important thing here is the intention. So when the person, he or she is going to be compelled to do so anyway, you can't, like she said, or he, she, he said, you can't call the judge your honor. So um, you can have to use the words, my Lord or your worship. What is important is it's just a title of respect. It's it's not a matter of uh, deifying the person, making him or uh, the judge, he or she, a, a, a deity upon him or herself. Shukran for that answer, Molina. Our next question that we that we have that has come through says, what if a wife has two affairs with men, going with them whenever they ask and she goes at any given time and she has phone intercourse with them from other countries without the husband knowing. She does not work and 17 years he provided for her and her kids. She cannot read the Quran and the wife broke up two marriages from other marriages due to the involvement with the men. Um, and he found out via a third party what can he do 
Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So, um, once again, there's not much of a fit question here. This is a marital issue. The person basically, um, this husband has to decide what he wants to do. Does he want to remain in a marriage like this? We obviously he feels he cannot now um, trust his wife or um, he feels hurt about what happened. And it's, it's really up to him what he wants to do. The power of divorce and even the the right of divorce, I mean, he has all the power in his hands. If he feels that um, he doesn't want to continue the marriage, he can divorce his wife. Um, if he feels now he wants to give it a go and he wants to make things work and he feels he can overcome what has happened in the past, then he should, he should do that. Maybe go for some counseling. It will be required uh, for both him and his wife, not just medical counseling, but some personal counseling as well, because obviously these things are a bit traumatic um, upon the individual. And if the wife is having multiple affairs, as mentioned in the, in the question, then obviously she has certain issues. She has to deal with it as well. So, um, if he wants to continue with the marriage, I would encourage each of them to go for counseling as a couple to go for counseling and uh, try to, inshallah, ta'ala sort out what is really going on with. Uh, within themselves and try to make the marriage work. If he feels he cannot uh, carry on, that uh, trust has been broken and that uh, it's been too much, then obviously he has the power, he has the, uh, the right to divorce his wife. He can um, have that facilitated uh, uh, by an imam or by the MGC, for example, and um, he can uh, divorce his wife. So these are his options. Okay, shukran. Well, now we move on to our next question. It says, Assalamu alaikum. I wanted to find out whether if it is permissible to order food for, via a delivery service like Mr. Delivery, for example, I'd be ordering food from a halal restaurant and my non-Muslim friend may be ordering unhalal food like pork from another restaurant. But the delivery service uses the same bag when delivering the food. So basically, the food is situated next to each other in the same closed space, just in separate spaces. Um, styrofoam containers which aren't completely closed like the air steam of the unhalal food could mix with the halal food is this permissible okay Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. so the question is about um, the steam of the food that is not halal no. will it contaminate the halal food that's what the question is so there's a first of opinion what uh, the status is of okay, let's look at uh, the unhalal can we call it unhalal the not halal food uh, at the moment in terms of its purity so what what is the person is perhaps he's ordered something bacon or something so we know that um, that khinzir is najis for yeah. us uh, 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 and uh, that is problematic of course so the steam of the uh, najis might be you know rising and then uh, it could then somehow move. it is not a ifs and buts here yes so it's difficult to say yes definitively or no what we can say is that the steam of najas according to uh, some scholars it is haram itself as well um, especially if it then settles on something which is pure so then it contam contaminates the that which well. is pure so there is the possibility others say no look the steam other scholars say no that the steam of najas is Najasa, it doesn't have an, a physical essence uh, by itself. That's what those scholars say. I'm not saying I'm saying it is correct. So there are two views on the matter. So um, according to some, uh, and then that's just the steam itself. Then there's the question: Does the steam actually move over onto the halal food that's not been contaminated? There is a, uh, a styrofoam container. So. Um, I'll just get through the styrofoam container. It's a lot of ifs and buts here. We can't say anything definitively. So 
Perhaps, perhaps not. I would say to this person, if this is something which you do regularly and it's something which is bothering you, then don't do it. It's a very simple thing. Um, either go collect your food separately or... Um, order separately. Order separately or do something. The fact that the person is asking the question, obviously it means there's a bit of doubt in his mm-hmm. mind. And instead of getting into the technicalities and we can, because we spoke about the masala itself, but now we have to obviously do some further investigation. Does the seam, can it go through from the one into the other? Does it the styrofoam container does it go onto the halal food so there are lots of it's but instead of worrying about all of those things if there is doubt in the person's mind let him just uh, find a different solution mm-hmm. um, order separately or um, let the person uh, collect the food um, and this inshallah will uh, solve the problem prophet that whatever causes you doubt leave that it's a simple okay. thing, you know. So let's say there's a right and wrong, it's a bit of a gray area here, could go this way, could go that way. So the problem just avoid it. Yes. Avoid all that which causes you, your doubt. So that inshallah will be the easy solution for you. Okay, well now next question says, my question is, I'm a divorced lady. I find it difficult to find a proper job. And while I struggle to support my kids and my family, my family bad mouths me all over saying bad things that I'm lazy and I'm much more. What do I do in this situation? Because I feel I'm at the point of taking my life due to my family. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We should start at the end point and not the beginning. So the person is making a, a very uh, drastic statement at the end. Um, as a Muslim, we need to continuously, obviously, we go through difficult times, challenging times in our lives. Uh, none of us can escape them. During those times, we should especially connect ourselves with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't find ourselves in any condition excepting with the will of Allah, His decree. And often, uh, those conditions we find ourselves in, uh, as challenging as they might be, and traumatic as they might be, it's an opportunity for us to actually gain closest to Allah ta'ala. Because it's at that point when our hearts are very, they're perhaps broken, they um, are very hurt, we're in a, a very, uh, um, we're in an emotional state. And often in that state, we can find closest so yes the person is going through a very difficult stage but she should not lose hope in Allah in fact it's it's the exact opposite she should turn to Allah and that goes for myself and everyone else listening Um, that should be a a daily occurrence for a Muslim but when we do find ourselves in challenging situations turn to Allah more during those times we will find that Allah places peace in our hearts contentment in essence Allah Ta'ala our lives is a test and we go through these various tests and trials and tribulations um, and the the main goal behind them Allah Ta'ala is that we during those phases we actually can come closer to Allah Ta'ala so Allah Ta'ala says Ya ibadi aladhina asrafu Ya ibadi aladhina asrafu ala anfusihim la taqnatu min rahmatillah Oh my slaves um, those who have wronged themselves do not despair do not become disheartened in the mercy of Allah don't lose hope in Allah Ta'ala in other words so we need to turn to Allah Ta'ala all the time and is warning against losing hope in him so for this lady because of the statement she made at the end let us insha- uh, we hope and we to add that she uses the opportunity to come closer to Allah Ta'ala and that Allah grants her the strength to come, come through this uh, challenging period in her life inshallah in terms of her family of course she mentioned that her family is not very supportive at this time and that they're bad mouthing her of course it should be the opposite isn't it if, our, if we find ourselves in a difficult situation um, we turn to Allah first 
And then we hope that those who are closest to us will be more understanding, more compassionate towards us. Our families will be the ones to help us. So inshallah, we hope that the family can uh, soften the approach towards her um, and inshallah assist her where she can for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Um, this will be our way as, as Muslims in general, uh, but especially as family members, there's great reward in assisting our family. You know, we give a sadaqah often and we mention all the great rewards of sadaqah, but to give sadaqah and to assist a family member gets double that reward because not only are you giving a charity for the sake of Allah Ta'ala but you also creating a stronger family bond that goes for many things even for zakah for example so there's a family member requiring zakah not our immediate, fa- our immediate family or dependents but let's say there's a cousin or an aunt who we're not responsible for financially so they can receive zakah. So let's start with our family first. They are the ones who are, we know the situation, and uh, they're the ones who we know are in need. Let us assist them, assist them, assist them inshallah ta'ala. There's double the reward of the zakah or the sadaqah, and there's also the reward of um, growing and strengthening family bonds inshallah. So we hope that uh, from the family side that we, they can be a bit more uh, um, helpful towards her and from her side we encourage her to come closer to Allah Ta'ala, connect to Allah, you will find peace in Him and only through Him inshallah. i just like to add to that Molana that you know sometimes we Allah tests us and we all are in that very difficult dark place in our lives and, um, and, and sometimes we don't always see the light but we should remember especially to this listener is that there's a reason why you're going through that and, and most of the times the reason is that we need to become closer to Allah as Mulanas mentioned in the beginning so you know this should make us stronger and so when the next next time something like this occurs in our lives we are able to deal with it in a stronger way because we realize that we have Allah by our side so um, yeah just moving on to the next question there's still a few questions that we do have Mulanas but I think it's time for ads now and when we come back we'll continue with the Q&A program Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes Assalamu alaikum, welcome back to the Q&A program and we're going to go straight to the next message I've got here. It says, um, Malana, this one says, I calculate zakah yearly at the end of Ramadan as I have the nisab for full lunar year, for full uh, lunar year, even if I only possess the money for a few months. Is this correct? But now I purchased a house, a property with the intention to renovate it to sell for, for profit. Transfer went through on the 1st of December 2018 I have tenants in the interim interim and also what must I do end of Ramadan 2019 is the passing of full lunar year on Nisab or from the date purchase house the house in the first on the first of December 2018 is a card due on the house at Ramadan 2019 or the December uh, the month of December 2019 okay. uh, from listening to that I pick about three things I have to mention here number one so the person has the habit of calculating letting his zakah from Ramadan to Ramadan. I think many people do that. It's very easy. I think because it's the one month we do know in the Islamic calendar, Ramadan is coming around every year. The others are a bit doubtful of sometimes. So uh, it's easy to calculate our zakah from Ramadan to Ramadan. So if the the default is you start calculating your zakah amount from the moment you reach Nisab. Now Nisab is that um, threshold amount which you can, uh, uh, changes fluctuates um, every little bit. Um, It's it's, 
uh, calculated from the value of like, um, gold and silver. So uh, the last time I checked, it was between four and a half and five thousand rand. I think according to the silver standard. Um, yeah, but we can check that on on a few websites. Um, so once a person reaches that threshold amount, let's make an assi- let's assume uh, uh, that it is five thousand rand, for example. So I've got five thousand rand on the. 30th of uh, Sha'aban or the first of Ramadan and for the entire next lunar year, the next Ramadan comes now I still, I, either I still have that 5,000 in my account or wherever I hid it or am, I am um, saving it or it's increased so obviously then it makes sense from Ramadan to Ramadan we have to give zakah on that 5,000 rand or more uh, as long as it didn't go under that amount and the amount we give there is 2.5% um, of that amount so 5,000 rand uh, we can work it out 2.5% of that we give it as zakah then the second thing you mentioned was sometimes I just calculate my Ramadan, my zakah from Ramadan to Ramadan even if I only got um, the, the zakah amount 2 or 3 months ahead of Ramadan so technically speaking um, zakah was not liable, not uh, due upon that wealth because he only got um, the zakatable, at least that's how I'm understanding the question, he only got the zakatable amount um, a few months ahead of Ramadan. The condition for zakah is that you have the threshold amount in Islam and it, it stays with you without going below that threshold amount for an entire lunar year. So if the person only got it three months ahead of time, uh, that amount and now it's Ramadan, he wants to give zakah on it, can he do so? So technically it's, it's not really zakah, but I know lots of people who do this just to be safe because they can't they don't really keep track of perhaps of of did it gonna be below five thousand or beyond five thousand so they, they just want to be safe every Ramadan they just take the money into an office and they give as zakah so it could be a zakah if the money never went below five thousand rand it is zakah if it's less and the intention was zakah perhaps Allah will give the reward of zakah if not it is the reward of a of a sadaqah then the last uh, but the third uh, question that I figured from the uh, um, that came from the the, 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 the question of the sent is the one of his purchasing a house and the intention of purchasing the house is to make profit on the house so obviously he's going to fix it up a bit and he's going to sell it and so on so is this zakah on the house itself there's no zakah on the house itself and this um, you know, there is a, the concept of um, zakah on business um, commodities, but this person just has this one house that he's purchasing, the way it sounds from the question, and he wants to fix it up, and then he wants to sell it at a profit. So there's no zakah on the, on the house. He asked the question after, do I look at Ramadan or do I look at the 18th of December when the transfer took place? He doesn't really have to worry about either of those things. There's no zakah on the house itself. When he does make a profit, of course, let's say his threshold has been reached in terms of Ramadan and it's got the 5,000 or more, probably more than that, in his account. So when he does sell the house eventually, he'll be making a profit that will go into his um, savings account, whatever account he's keeping his money in. Then when zakah time comes, he gives zakah on the collective amount, the, the initial amount he had, including the profit, which obviously the profit he, oh, he, unless he spends it before that, he places in the savings account. So there's no zakah on the house, but the profit which he makes from selling the house later, um, if he's going to sell it within the or even later, and he places then into his personal savings account or whatever place he's saving the money in, zakah will be on the collective amount, not just on the 5,000 rand. Let's say he makes 100,000 rand profit on the house and he only had 5,000. Now within this year he sells it, 
He puts it hundred thousand in the savings, so Zakah will be now liable on one hundred and five thousand, not on the five thousand mm-hmm. or the one hundred, uh, respectively. So that's what he does, inshallah. The next question, Sheikh says, please advise on an explanation of Ida period for purposes for our employee to be able to remove her spouse from death cover and funeral cover. Could you perhaps cover the following? What conditions a woman must be in to be classified as being being in Ida an Ida or in Ida period? And the second one is what it means for a woman in terms of remarrying another man, the duration of Ida, and is the Ida end date then classified as her official divorce date? Now we've got about two minutes to cover those questions well enough. Okay, 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 okay start and complete it after. Okay. So the first question is what is the Ida and when does a woman uh, go into Ida, of course. So Ida is, there are many translations for it, perhaps a mandatory waiting period yeah. um, that is observed by the wife on account of divorce or death of the husband. So if it was divorce, they call it Ida to Al-Mutallaqa, it is the, 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 the Ida of a divorcee. And uh, if a husband passed away, then it's Ida to Al-Mutallaqa, it's the Ida of um, someone who husband has passed away. So you have different periods, of course, when it comes to the the lady who husband has passed away, then from the day he passed away, Ida uh, will last for four months and ten days. Okay. Um, as for the 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 the, the idda of the divorcee, her div- her idda will last for three clean peri- three, clean, three clean periods, which is the opposite of a menstruation period. Um, according to Shafi'i Madhab, the Hanafi Madhab says it is three menstrual periods. Mm. So that is the duration of the idda, uh, more or less. During this period, she cannot um, marry someone else. Of course, she's in the idda. If the divorce was given by a husband, we're focusing now on the, the, the divorcee. Um, if the divorce was given by a husband was uh, one or two divorces, but not three, then they can reconcile during the Idda period um, without having to renew the marriage. They have to renew my marriage contract. So husband divorces, wife says, I divorce you. And within the Idda period, they, they, you know, they realize now we, we can still make it work and so on. Then it's a matter of them coming back together and the husband saying, okay, um, there's a formula that so we said, I take you back into marriage. And they then reconcile without the, the need of a new marriage contract going to the masjid perhaps and you know kabil to nikah all again. Um, if the idda does expire, however, and the couple wants to reconcile, then you will have to propose a new mahar must be agreed upon, and they have to do a new marriage contract. Um, also, if the idda does expire, she's not compelled to marry uh, her ex-husband now. Um, she can marry whoever she she wishes, sure, of course, okay. as long as the Muslim is on. Okay, Sheikh Amalna, it is time for our next um, ad break, and when we come back, we'll continue with two more questions just before we conclude, inshallah. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Q&A segment. And of course, we're in our last segment for the show today. Uh, we are going through all the questions that are coming through on our WhatsApp line as well as on the SMS line. Remember that next week we'll be doing those questions that are coming in this evening. We'll be able to cover them in next week's program, inshallah. But for now, we go back to the questions. The first one here says, my husband and I have been accredited for Hajj, inshallah. Unfortunately, we are not financially prepared for both of us to go. I am prepared and my dad has also been accredited so I do have a mahram with great sadness my husband has said that I cannot go without him my question is can he do that do I need permission to go on Hajj this is my first time Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. 
Um, so when it comes to performing the Hajj, mashallah, it's good they've been accredited. May Allah reward them all, inshallah. Um, so they probably applied together, husband and wife. They've both been accredited, but there's only finance now for the one to go. Um, the father, her father, parents also going for Hajj. Um, and he is a, a, a legitimate mahram. However, when it comes to um, her leaving without her husband, um, the Shafi'i legal school, um, they, the Shafi'i madam say now that a wife cannot go for Hajj without her husband if he doesn't give permission. If he grants permission, they can go with your father, no problem. But if he says, no, you have to wait for me, then she's going to have to wait for him. She has to wait for him to perform the Hajj. Um, there are other views that, uh, other schools that uh, have different views. Um, the Hanafi Malik in Hanbali schools, they do permit the wife to perform the Hajj as long as school she has eh, in Mahram. So um, the Shafi school is very strict about obedience to the husband here, that um, she'll have to wait until he has enough finance um, uh, because he's a husband and she requires his permission. And uh, obviously by her leaving for a particular duration of time, there are certain rights that he's going to forego because she's not with him any longer. And that is why they say, no, in this instance, she can wait for him. The, the Hajj itself um, can be deferred uh, as best to perform it as soon as possible, um, but it can be deferred. And because of that facility, um, the husband here does have the right to say, look, um, you can wait for me, we can go next year, and so on. Uh, the other schools, like we said before, they do permit it. They say, no, look, the Hajj is compulsory. This is their point of view. The Hajj is compulsory, and he doesn't have the right to stop. It's a fast Hajj. She, has, uh, she can go. Um, just another other perspective, of course, she should consider, uh, I mean, a marriage and a marital situation as well. She, she would know uh, the temperament of her husband and the condition of the marriage and so on. So she should also take that in consideration. If she's going to um, say, you know what, but uh, I'm going to do it either way. Yes, you want to perform the Hajj, which is the right of Allah Ta'ala, even though it can be deferred. But what... But what, um, what, what, what condition, uh, what will that, what will the, the, the result of that be in terms of the yeah. of the marriage? So these greater considerations that have to be taken uh, uh, to be considered here. Of course, on the husband's side, I mean, if he's, a, he's someone that can take care of things and you know he doesn't mind it, but it seems like this husband over here, maybe he's one of the husbands that needs his wife around all the time. Right. He doesn't really can manage everything without her. So oh, I think you know, it's maybe just the one thing to share the experience of Hajj together could be. And we hope, inshallah, that that, that, could, that could be that as well. And, and it is a different experience to go with your uh, with your spouse. Um, it's sometimes, often, in fact, um, when you do get married, uh, life becomes so busy that you don't really have much time. You, often, you have kids that can yes. within uh, a short time after getting married. So often, when uh, couples go for Hajj, it's maybe been 10, 15 years since they've been married, and they'll tell you, "This is not going to be the first time we're going to be together yeah, since we got yes. married." So it's a quite a nice uh, experience, experience as well. So perhaps that's what he's thinking, or. Perhaps he cannot do without her while she's away because he's so dependent on her taking care of certain things. Um, like I said before, the default in the Shafi'i Matabas, she does, does require his permission. She can share her hope, inshallah, that um, this husband gets to go with because um, it sounds like she also wants him to go with, inshallah. So Allah make that a reality for both of them. I mean, okay, the next question says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Can the mahar, the maskavi, between a couple be a umrah uh, after three years of marriage? What if the person is not financially? stable to do so and what if something happens between them and the divorce or someone passes on okay Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. this is a debatable issue among the scholars can you can a wife ask a hajj or umrah 
as a mahar. In this question, there was a three-year deferment period as well. You can, in three years' time, you send me for Hajj or for Umar, or we go together, whatever the case might be. So there are some scholars say it's a valid Hajj and it's a valid mahar because um, the exact... The thing about the mahar is it has to be something very, very specific. It must okay. be um, it must be something which uh, can be um, quantified. Okay, this is what I need to give as a mahar. It can't be something which is vague. Yes. Because if it's going to be something a bit ambiguous, there will be the uh, arguments about it thereafter. So this is where the debate, the debate lies, the essence of the debate. Um, hajj, can you put a number on it? I mean, you can say I'm going to go hajj with that group. Um, so it costs me that mm. much. But um, maybe the other group... It's a bit more expensive, but I want to be here. And there's so many little uh, things, uh, caps, things yeah. uh, variables. Yeah, how close you to the haram? Am I going to Azizia or not? There are special mm. services. So all these things, um, in terms of uh, uh, the cost and uh, to fix the cost of the Hajj, makes just giving that unrestricted thing. I'm going to go for Hajj. I'm going to go for Umar. If you leave it as unrestricted as that, it makes it a bit ambiguous in terms of the exact amount. Mm. So for that reason, some say no, no, no. This is not a valid mahar because there are too many variables. Here in terms of the costing and the mahar has to be something specific in order to avoid any arguments in the future because perhaps the person comes late and says here's the umrah but the umrah is a as a backpackers lodge that we know tell but you see the umrah you didn't say uh, five star four so, yes, three star it wasn't specific it wasn't very specific yeah um, other scholars say no it is so like I said some say um, it's not a valid mahar, others say it is, and they say on condition, of course, those who do say it is valid, they say it's valid on condition, and all these details, the nitty-gritties, the logistics of it, are determined, okay, so I want to, for example, an umrah to the value of this amount, and all the other things that go with that, that includes, I don't know, my visa cost and everything else, so if it can be that specific, um, or even, you know, put an amount down, maybe this is the better thing to say, okay, so let's say the average price of Omar is uh, 20, 25, 30,000 rand, so she says, okay, my mahar is 30,000 rand. That's my okay. It's going to be the same thing as asking Omar to Hajj. Um, maybe she consider she consider inflation within the next few years. So we save thirty five thousand, for example. So in three years' time, my mahar, you can pay me in three years' time. We agree on that. The mahar is thirty five thousand, and her intention behind that is to go for Omar. Um, of course, she'll still require husband to go with her or mahram, but she can make that provision, of course, at that time. So having something specific is is, is important when it comes to mahar. Now, well, now we've got one minute left, but I've also got one. Qu- question that just came to mind i'm just thinking now after they agree to you know that this is going to be her uh, dowry and um, she's going to ask for to go on umrah and the amount is specific that does not mean that the person now has to save all his money after he's married you know to now accommodate for that umrah and then you know then they forget that they still have to see to this person yeah look that that is that the, the mahar is your the mandatory gift the husband has to give to his wife that's got nothing to do with nafakat and all yes. the things it is something separate so um his uh, daily weekly monthly expenses with regards to his wife he still has to take care of that doesn't mean okay i'm saving now 35 you know <laughs> You paying the rent? Did you yes. do anything else as well? No, that's not. That's what I was getting. So to. the mahar is something separate. Um, it is a bit, you know, uh, a bit um, risky to 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 uh, to do that because you don't mm-hmm. know what what could happen. Yes. I mean, let's say um, they're not married in three years' time. And because of the way perhaps the divorce took place, so, mm. you know, I'm not going to give you a mahar and all this stuff, we probably we won't marry long anyway. It doesn't exempt you from paying the mahar, but it could become an issue later. Uh, so we hope, inshallah, everything works out, but 
life is such that you don't know what the future holds definitely. and Allah is the one who so it's a bit risky but uh, we hope to explain hopefully we explain the actual uh, the answer to the question in terms of mahar being, the mahar being in Hajj or in Umrah Marana Shukran so much for joining us this evening for the Q&A program we have come to the end of the program that one will be back next week inshallah Malna any last words from your side inshallah Inshallah, um, just uh, of course du'as uh, from the listeners and we hope that Allah Ta'ala um, increases us in our knowledge Ameen. and even more importantly uh, in our practice of the day in Islam inshallah. Ameen inshallah, Mawlana Shukran once again and to our listeners a very very big shukran to you as well for sending through those messages don't forget that you do have some time to send through those messages for next week's program and we'll have them answered by Sheikh Shamir Umarna Shamir Saeed rather and uh, he'll be in studio again next week. So from us Peterson and Shukran to Malana. Um, we bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.